This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. Among all the sounds of nature anywhere on Earth, this has to be one of the most impressive and powerful. This is the sound of humpback whales feeding on herring along the east coast of Chichigoff Island. That's in southeastern Alaska in the Tongass National Forest. I'm on a boat traveling here in Alaska's Inside Passage along with marine biologist Jan Straley. Jan has decades of experience studying humpback whales in these waters. We're following a group of humpback whales right now that are doing what's called bubble net feeding. Because Jan Straley is doing research on humpback whales, there's people on board her boat taking photos of the flukes of these whales in order to identify them. And my own work here producing this radio program is a part of Jan's permit for research, which means we can come closer than 100 yards to humpback whales. Otherwise, you don't go any closer than that to these animals to avoid disturbing their feeding patterns and their life patterns. I'm paddling along in a kayak very close to a rugged, rocky limestone shoreline, so I'm keeping well out of the way. This coast of the Tongass National Forest is one of the world's most spectacular wild places. A maze work of bays and coves, inlets and passages and fjords and steep walled mountains covered with dense rainforest, huge coniferous trees. We've got them on all sides of us here. And you can see up where the clouds lay along the sides of the mountains, the high green alpine meadows, the snow fields that remain there from last winter. Rivers and streams also everywhere along this coast. We're constantly seeing salmon jumping as they head for their spawning streams. And incredibly rich ocean waters. This nurtures an abundance of sea life, including clouds of shrimp-like krill and schools of small fish like herring, capelin, sand lance, and of course these salmon that are gathered in these waters in the summer now. Paddling along here in my little orange kayak about eight feet long makes you feel mighty small to see a humpback whale burst up through the surface so close at hand as these animals are right now. Well, this abundance of marine food, of course, is what attracts humpback whales here. They gather every summer to feast on krill and fish, to fatten up for the winter months when they'll eat nothing at all in subtropical waters. But I gotta say, the most important single thing that we can say about the humpback whale is this is one tremendous animal, fully grown. They reach 40 to 50 feet long. For perspective, that's about the size of a greyhound bus and a very thick body. Humpback whales are not slender like some whales are. 
They weigh about 35 to 40 tons. That's way heavier than your average Greyhound bus. I'm watching about 50 or 100 seagulls whirling in a great gyre above the water here, and now they're all veering off as if, oh, suddenly, there it is. The whales have burst up through the surface straight offshore from us here, about 10 or 12 of them, and now the gulls suddenly focused in on that vortex where they're hoping they're gonna get some leftovers, and I'm also seeing a couple of sea lions in there with them. What a fracas this is now. As we can hear our whales blowing and the whales now they're great flukes coming up in the air these are humongous animals their color as they roll now shiny black on top i can see their dorsal fins and the narrow stalk of their tails or flukes those flukes can be as much as 18 feet across they have an enormous streamlined head that we see when they come up out of the water during these sessions of bubble net feeding. It's flattened top to bottom, sort of like the toe end of a shoe. And of course the humpback whale is famous for having enormous front flippers up to 15 feet long. They're kind of like wings. And again, you'll see those big flippers flailing around as they burst up through the surface of the water. Now our research vessel, the phalarope, is just off to my right here. They're moving along, as am I, parallel to the direction that our whales are going. Whales are among the animals that we find the most fascinating and probably the most mysterious. Nearly everything they do is hidden from us. So we've got to infer their behavior, their social lives, from the tiny glimpses we get near the surface of the water. Our whales have all gone down again, and when they did, some cameras were snapping on board the phalarope. They're trying to get the unique color pattern on the bottom side of the whale's flukes when they dive. Those are like fingerprints, so they can identify each individual whale that way. Do you hear that kind of siren sound in the background? Faintly audible. Oh! We heard the feeding call of the humpback whales and then the sound of this congregation of whales erupting through the surface of the water. And the gulls now spinning and turning. Everybody looking for a little morsel here, leftovers. The sea lions in there as well. The sound of these whales rolling up through the surface and heaving their enormous breaths. This has been heard on the world's oceans for a very long time. The earliest modern-looking whales evolved about 30 million years ago. Well, it's hard to imagine then that human beings could have nearly wiped them off the face of the Earth in less than half a tick of geological time. The first 60 years of the 20th century, industrial whalers decimated humpbacks throughout the world's oceans. Oh, wow! A big fracas there on the water. As... Holy mackerel, we've got it all here. That's a whale thrashing its tail around in the water. There's a couple of others coming up 
behind and there's a little bit of a social interaction perhaps going on and now the great flukes and the black bodies rolling. Another thrash of one of the whale's tails showing its big foreflipper as they roll down under the water to start another feeding bout and I think I might just get myself a little closer to the shoreline here. There's no use to do the Jonah thing after all. Well, actually, the humpback whale's throat is way too small to do anything like that. Nevertheless, well, whales back in the days of commercial whaling were seen as just another exploitable resource. And that whaling went on without limitation, without conscience. Nobody knows how many humpback whales there were before the whaling era started, but when they were finally protected in 1969, Biologists estimate there were only about 1,200 to 1,400 of these great animals left in the North Pacific. Luckily, a strong recovery of population followed this protection. And so now there are about 20,000 humpback whales in the North Pacific waters. Humpback whales are found not only here in the North Pacific Ocean, but also throughout the world's oceans and they make long seasonal migrations. They spend the summer months feeding as ours are doing here in cold temperate oceans. And then they winter in warm subtropical waters where the females give birth to their calves and mate to start the new generation. One of the longest migrations of any mammal, the humpback whale, up to a 6,000 mile round trip every year. Now as our whales are down again, and I'm watching the gulls because they can see these whales underwater, so we're sort of drifting along and keeping pace with the birds as they're waiting for their part of the action here. Biologists divide humpback whales into several distinct population groups. For example, one population spends the summer months in the Atlantic off the northeast coast of the United States and eastern Canada, and those animals winter down in the Caribbean. The largest humpback population of all summers in the icy waters of the Antarctic, and then they spend the winter in the warmer waters of places like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, South America. Now the whales we're here with today are part of the North Pacific population. Many of them feed here along the coast of Southeast Alaska where we are now, and along the coast of British Columbia, Canada. Most of our Alaskan and Northern British Columbia humpback whales migrate to the Hawaiian Islands in the wintertime. Humpback whales that spend the summer from Southern British Columbia southward mostly winter in Mexico and in Central America. And then there's a third group of North Pacific humpbacks that summer over on the Asiatic side and those animals winter down among the tropical islands like the Mariana Islands, the Philippines. Well, summer life for humpback whales in these rich, cold northern waters is pretty much a non-stop frenzy of feeding that lasts about six to seven months, doing exactly what our whales are doing right now, feasting on great swarms of krill and little fish. As we watch our group of whales, they've come up through the surface now and their blows shooting 15, 20 feet in the air and now the flukes going up and down they go with that beautiful, graceful motion that only the whale can show us. As we watch this, when I think of feasting on these swarms of life under the waters here, it'd be a little bit like soaring through the air with your mouth open through 
millions of drifting hot dogs and hamburgers, maybe throw in some donuts and milkshakes along with it, and doing that with a joyously uninhibited goal of putting on as much weight as you possibly can. These animals can eat as much as a ton of food every day. We're talking 2,000 pounds. Well, this is not simple overindulgence because sometime in the fall or early winter, humpback whales stop eating, swim to Hawaii from this part of the world, and they spend the next few months in a total fast, living on the fat that they're building and storing right now. They don't eat anything at all in those clear, blue, relatively sterile subtropical waters. Now, there are two kinds of whales in the world. The first one is the toothed whales, the dolphins, porpoises, the killer whale, the sperm whale. Those whales have got rows of teeth in their jaws, like most other mammals. They mostly catch fish, and they also hunt for sea mammals, like seals. They're often very social, those toothed whales. The other group of whales, that's the baleen whales, like the blue whale, which is the biggest animal that ever lived on Earth, and our humpback whales. Baleen whales tend to be much less social than the toothed whales. Our humpback groups don't stay the same all the time. They constantly change membership. The feeding strategies of baleen whales, usually less cooperative than the toothed whales, although not always so, because we're seeing an exception to that rule right now as our humpback whales have just burst through the surface again belly to belly, back to back. They're so tightly grouped. And of course, we can hear them again. I'm paddling along here, getting myself a good exercise, keeping up with them. Well, the key to the feeding strategies of our humpbacks and other baleen whales is revealed in that name, baleen. They've got several hundred flexible overlapping plates that are arranged like teeth along both upper jaws, maybe a foot to 18 inches long in the case of our humpback whales. When they come up out of the water with their mouths open during this bubble net feeding, you can see that baleen hanging down there. It's black. It looks like plastic, but it's actually keratin. That's the same material that makes up our fingernails. Ooh, whoa! <laughs> that was a humpback whale breaching the whole whale came up out of the water and landed in a huge explosion. Man alive, we must have got up on the right side of the bed this morning. When you see these whales come up through the water, their throat has great big pleats, sort of like an accordion, and it allows the throat and the neck of this animal to bulge into an enormous baggy pouch when it takes a huge mouthful of water and food. And then the tongue of the whale forces that water out through those baleen slats. And the fish or krill is trapped by the baleen like a strainer. Then they swallow whatever they've got after straining the water out. There are several different ways that our humpback whales feed and they can all be seen right here along the coast of southeastern Alaska. Sometimes they feed by swimming through big, dense schools of fish or krill. They open their mouth and they scoop in the prey. Another strategy, the whale slaps the water again and again with its tail, and that concentrates the prey, especially krill. Then the whale comes up and sucks up that food. Biologists call this flick feeding. Now, by far the most famous 
is this one that we're watching right now, the ingenious cooperative hunting method that's called bubble net feeding. And if you've seen that, you can be sure that the pictures of it were either taken here in southeastern Alaska or right next door on the neighboring coast of British Columbia because this is the only place in the world where bubble net feeding happens. And our whales are down under the water arranging this right now. They work together to crowd their prey into dense swarms and the prey thereafter is herring. Then after they get beneath a kind of balled up school of hearing one of these whales. And we're probably gonna hear it again because the seagulls are bunching up. Do you hear that sound? It's coming up through the water and through the hull of my little kayak. That's the feeding call. And as the whales make this call, they're doing something else. One of them is swimming upward through the column of water while making a broad circle exhaling air from its blowhole. And this makes a cylindrical column of bubbles that surrounds the prey like a shimmering net. Here go the gulls now, rocketing in the same direction. Whales coming up through the water with those great mouths open, pleated throats bulging out, closing their mouths, laying down over in the white froth on the water. Man alive. So what has just happened is the tightly bunched whales have torpedoed up through the center of that circle of bubbles with their open mouths like a huge collective net, each whale scooping in fish. And the frenzied fish leaping and flashing on the surface trying to get away. And a split second later, the whales erupting through the water. Whales are now rolling down like gleaming black islands surrounded by that white froth and surge and waves and fracas, laying on the surface, breathing a few times. This is absolutely one of the most awesome natural events anybody could hope to witness. And as we just heard, bubble net feeding is not just visually spectacular, because sometimes as the whales veer upward into that panicked school of fish, they make the surreal, haunting, high-pitched whining or howling-like sound. To give you a little bit louder sample, here's a recording that Jan Straley just finished making with her underwater microphone or hydrophone. Now our humpback whales sometimes do bubble net feeding while they're all alone, but most often they do it in groups like this. Individual whales, interestingly, will stay in the same group sometimes for years, coming back here, joining up with the same whales that they had last summer, although they don't stay with them all the time. And other whales will flow in and out of the groups on a daily or hourly basis. Apparently, Certain whales consistently lead these groups and make the bubbles, and other ones consistently make that amazing feeding sound. And each whale, interestingly, also tends to roll up and blow and dive in a similar position. 
each time they do it. So bubble net feeding is highly choreographed, like some kind of an aquatic dance on an enormous scale. The social life of these humpback whales is going to shift dramatically after they make that swim to the Hawaiian Islands. A few of them will stay up here in the north all winter, but most of them head south. The main season for them to be down there, January into April. Now during this time, pregnant female humpback whales give birth to their calves. The birth season in Hawaii is also the mating season. Males spend a lot of time following females around in the Hawaiian waters, waiting until the female comes into estrus. Often several males are in company with the same female. One of them is the main escort, but others are trying to displace him. Oh boy, the gulls are all zooming off again. There they are bursting up through the surface. Well, the guy who gets to be closest to the female, he tries to keep the other humpbacks away. The males charge each other. They slash their tails at each other. Sometimes the head and the dorsal fin and the stalk of the tail get raw and bloody from all that fighting. So that term, we've sometimes heard of gentle giants to describe humpback whales. Well, they're not so gentle during that tropical love fest in Hawaii. Now our whales, great blows. Spewing up into the air here. Well, both in Hawaii and here on the northern feeding grounds, whales can be pretty moody and it's easy to tell when they get upset. Remember a little while ago, one of the whales was slashing its tail back and forth as another one came and joined the group. Was he upset? Was he celebrating? You hear that now? They also make loud trumpeting sounds. That's another way that whales seem to be registering some kind of a mood of happiness or upset or who knows what. And they'll slap the water with their tail too, lobtailing it's called. Again, a change of mood. Now, another thing that researchers have learned about humpback whales is they make perhaps the most famous sound from the oceanic world. And that, of course, is the song of the humpback whale. This one that we're hearing was recorded on a hydrophone here in southeastern Alaska by Jan Straley. There is no other voice like this in our world. This is something that fires our imaginations. Probably the song of the humpback whale has done more than anything else to win support 
for the conservation of whales all around the world. Only the male humpback whale sings, mostly while they're on their subtropical mating grounds. In the case of the North Pacific whales, it's in Hawaii, but they also do it right here in Alaska before they start their migration southward toward Hawaii. Well, the male humpback whale usually sings alone. Apparently, this song, beautiful as it is, never attracts a female. There must be some important purpose for such an elaborate and magnificent performance, but nobody knows what it is. The basic element is a series of sounds that are called a theme. And usually this theme is repeated many times and then the whale moves on to the next one. The whole song put together of all these different themes lasts about 10 to 15 minutes and then the song is repeated over and over. The humpback whale may sing for hours and then the songs are repeated again and again, pouring out across the blue expanses of the sea. Well, there are several things to say about the song of the humpback whale. One is that the song is constantly changing, and after several seasons, the whales are actually singing a completely different song from the one they had a few seasons ago. Another thing is that the same song is performed over huge areas of ocean. For example, all of our North Pacific groups, the ones from Alaska and Hawaii, the ones from farther south along the coast and down to Mexico, and the ones over on the Asiatic side, all of those groups are singing exactly the same song. How do they do it? There's very little intermingling, thousands and thousands of miles between them. And a third thing is that in different oceans, humpback whales sing different songs. Well, this song, along with the propensity for acrobatics and incredible tolerance for the closeness of people, makes the humpback whale one of the best known and most appreciated of all the wild animals in the world. It's small wonder that so many people care about the challenges faced by the humpback whales. And I have to tell you, it's a pretty long list. They're at risk from entanglement with fishing gear, from collisions with boats and ships. Actually, we've seen a few here with big scars and nicks taken out of their backs because of collisions. They also suffer from the overharvest of their food sources. For example, the herring that have never recovered along most of the North Pacific coast from the extreme overfishing that happened in the earlier part of the 20th century. And incredible as it may seem, there's a very real possibility that commercial whaling could start again. There are nations waiting for the opportunity to go ahead with it. Some experts say it's important to consider carefully the impact of the removal from endangered species status in the United States and Canada, because if that happened, it could kind of give a green light to those nations that would like to start commercial whaling again. 
listening to these prodigious blows as these whales swim along, keeping nice and parallel with us. It's a very complicated world for the humpback whales, but there are reasons for hope because they have made millions of friends all over the world. They're making more every day. Ooh. Oh, that scared me. Another whale close. Man, it's down now. I'll bet it's going to come up in a second. There it is. <laughs> well, for encounters, I'm Richard Nelson. I want to say thanks so much for your good company. And as we listen to the sound of these animals, let's say a word of thanks for the blessed companionship of whales. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited and produced by Lisa Bush, special consulting from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, the North Pacific Research Board, and Robert Osborne, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohen. For more information about the show and to hear podcasts, go to EncountersNorth.org.